0: I promised there would be minimal math on the show today, but let me break (laughs) down that math for you. What that means is for every 43 books that have been written on how to get customers, we have one book on how to keep them. Wow. Welcome to the Vince Del Monte podcast show where each week we bring
1: you the raw and real experiences, lessons, and timeless principles every man needs to master the five M's of manhood. By sharing conversations with the world's most successful people pursuing the 5Ms, you'll build muscle faster, achieve a winner's mindset, increase your money, dominate your mission, and go the distance with your marriage. My name is Vince Del Monte, entrepreneur, author, pro fitness model, and father, and I've helped tens of thousands of men transform their bodies and lives through muscle, entrepreneurship, and personal development. Thank you for spending some time with me today, now let's begin. Hey, it's great to have you back for another episode of the Vince Del Monte podcast, which is the only podcast in the world dedicated to helping men develop the five M's of manhood, muscle, mindset, money, mission, and marriage. In each episode, it's our mission to avoid skimming the surface, but scuba dive and give you simple, no-nonsense insights and takeaways to maximize a few of the five M's so that you're becoming a better man because we believe that when men start living large, everyone around them start living large too this podcast is free and will likely always be free of advertising i don't see my podcast as a money maker but as a straight up value exchange an opportunity for me to learn from our guests and for you to learn from others and their inspiring stories and knowledge and i am so excited for today so with that said uh hey if you could leave this podcast a five star rating, or review, it would be awesome. And if you could share this on social media and tell your friends, I would be extremely grateful. Hey, if you're new here, I'd go back and listen to the first five episodes laying down the five Ms of manhood so you really gain further clarity and context to why this podcast exists and uh, how it's impacting so many lives at different levels. Whether you're a coach or a service provider, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it be great if you knew how to never lose a customer again, right? Well, today's guest is the man who literally wrote the book on this subject matter, Joey Coleman. And before we welcome Joey onto the show, Joey's a full-time speaker who talks to companies about what they can do to keep their customers, especially in the first 100 days of a new customer's journey and how to keep the customer to come back for more. Joy specializes in creating unique, attention-grabbing customer experiences with organizations like Whirlpool, NASA, Volkswagen Australia, and Zapple. Recently, I was introduced to Joy by a mutual friend who said this book was a game-changer for stabilizing and regrowing his coaching program. And it's, it's funny, um, another individual... A great friend of mine, local fellow here, John Goodman, uh, he spoke at my seven-figure mastermind last um, August in Toronto. And as he was teaching, I was picking up on so many neat things that we could implement right away to enhance the customer experience. And then as I was going through Joey's Audible uh, recently, <laughs> Joey was, uh, sorry, John was in the book. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, This is where he got it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like oh now I'm connecting the dots and I actually I uh, just joined another mastermind and I was out in uh, Los Angeles this past weekend and uh, he's got one of the largest coaching program uh, he's a coach who coaches coaches and and uh, I believe there's like over 400 people in this coaching program and um, just since joining I've been seeing experiencing many of these things you're gonna learn today uh, in his program, I'm like, no doubt, wow, we. So, guys, you are in for a treat today. Uh, today, we're gonna talk about a ton everything from why people are running out the door as quickly as you bring them in, uh, why, what happens after the sale is most important, new site, new insights on customer acquisition versus customer retention, an introduction to his first 100 days framework to help you develop some simple processes and strategies to enhance your own customer experience. And those are just some of the big themes we're going to tackle today. So with all that said, Joey Coleman, welcome to the call.
0: Thank you, Vince. What an introduction. I really appreciate that. You know, I also feel compelled to say, first and foremost, John Goodman's an amazing human being. If you're not following John and his work, I don't care what industry you're in. There are lessons to be learned from that guy. And while we are definitely good friends and have worked together, and you're right, I featured him in the book, uh, the John comes up with so many ideas on his own and implements them. And then I write case studies about them. So I just want to be very clear. While we we certainly collaborate and learn from each other, John is a tour de force on his own. And without mentioning any names, uh, because I think you might find this interesting, you mentioned you were, were you just in Las Vegas or Los Angeles? Los did you Angeles.
1: Say?
0: Yeah. Were you at the Marriott Marina Del Rey? I was. Yeah, so I know where you were at because I was there the next day with that team. We'll just leave it at that. So, no uh, kidding. Yeah, what a small world. Yeah, I flew in on Saturday afternoon when you were wrapping up and spent the entire next day with that team uh, continuing to work on their first 100 days experience. Again, they already have an incredible first 100 days experience. But what I found, Vince, to be honest, is years ago, uh, I used to, when I would give speeches, I'd ask the audience, who's the company that you think uh, could benefit Benefit from working with me. And it was a pathetic way to ask for referrals, right? The question was not appropriately phrased. And what would happen is people would respond like, oh, this airline, they're horrible. Or, oh, my telecom provider, cable company, they're miserable. And then I'd reach out to them and go, oh, do you know the CEO or the head of sales or the head of marketing or customer account management at those companies? And like, no, they just suck. And I was like, oh, great. Awesome. So there's lots of companies out there that don't have great customer experiences. But what are we doing? What I have found is that the companies that pay the most attention to customer experience, the companies that I end up working with are the ones who already have an excellent customer experience Mm. and want to take it to the next level. They want to polish. So if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, I think I'm pretty good, but I'm intrigued by this topic. Know that you are well served and well met. You know, NASA has a great experience. Uh, Zappos has a great experience. Whirlpool has a great experience. And these are companies that have said, but we know we can be even better. They're not uh, content to rest on their laurels, as I know uh, the M5 men that listen to this podcast aren't either.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. So I guess one question I quickly had was, when I was introduced to your book, Never Lose a Customer Again, it was immediately applicable to me because I had a pretty big machine in motion. So first question is, when? when is this really like, hey, I need to gift this to somebody? What's your thoughts on that as opposed to, hey, you know what, let's get your sales up first and then we'll worry about that. How do you see that conversation, sales versus service? Are the two things that work together or is it kind of like, let's get your sales here, then you're gonna get way more out of my program.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of two different philosophies on life. And I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. Uh, You know, there's one philosophy that says build it when you need it. There's another philosophy that says, build it before you need it. Ooh. And so it depends on kind of how you see the world. I deal with lots of startups who want to get it right from the beginning so their retention is solid early on because they're getting investment and they want to be able to show those retention rates and they want to build on a month after month monthly subscription. And they, they see the value of every dollar earned each month and they want to keep that going as long as possible. There are other companies that I know subscribe more to an agile approach of minimal viable product, minimum viable product. Let's get something out the door, build it as we go, and we'll create this when we need it. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to there, um, but all I do know is the second you have one customer – you are at risk of losing that customer. Now, I don't like to come from a fear-based mentality, right? Mm. But the, the research and the reality shows that somewhere between 20 and 80% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you or will mentally check out from their relationship with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. So the time horizon on these considerations and these concerns is very short in the grand scheme of things. It's three months. And so my theory is I want to have as much of the process in place as people start to move through that three month period to guarantee that they make it to month four and five and six, because that's where it starts to really get interesting from a business growth point of view, from a profitability point of view, from a customer relationships point of view, from a referral point of view. All these things are impacted dramatically by the longer we can keep a customer.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into all this. I'm really curious to know um, your take on, you know, I think there's a default to not taking responsibility of people exiting your company, your coaching program. And, you know, I'm guilty of even saying, hey, we live in a world of flaky people, get used to it. Sure, sure. So. talk to that. You know, uh, I understand not everybody leaves because they're flaky. They in fact did have a bad experience. And I want to just ensure that people are really taking ownership of this because we're going to talk about why it's so
0: important in a moment. Sure. Well, I think there's a couple of interesting components to this, Vince. You're right. There are a, there's a certain percentage of, whether we want to call them flaky people or tire kickers or people that struggle with commitment in all areas of their life, Mm -hmm. who are going to sign up for your program or buy your product or service, give it a quick little sample, and then they're out. They're going to go do something else. Uh, I am not the customer retention guy who is going to tell you that you need to keep all of your customers. I do not believe in 100% retention. Not only do I think uh, it is difficult, if not impossible, to attain, I don't even think you want to attain it if you could. And the reason for that is I think there needs to be some motion through the organization, some people leaving, because the people who are leaving usually, not always, but I'd say north of 95% of the time, are serving as an early warning system for you for problems in your business. Hmm. They're leaving because they didn't understand how to use the product. They're leaving because they didn't get value from the service quick enough. They're leaving because they felt like they were treated like a number. They're leaving because uh, what was promised to them in the sales process wasn't delivered to them once they actually became a customer. They're leaving because they're paying more money than they think their value is commensurate with. They're leaving because uh, of a specific interaction they had with a member of your team. There are dozens, hundreds of reasons why somebody might leave. And I think the problem that many organizations face is the bigger they get, the less they pay attention to this. Wow. This is why it happens. When you start out your business and you have one or two customers. You hold them in the palm of your hand. You cherish them. You dote on them. You spend so much time, energy, and effort focused on them because you only have one or two. Yeah. And you've worked so hard to get your business going and have them. Like You will fight to hold on to them like crazy. But then you have 50 customers. Then you have 100. Then you have 500. Then you have 1,000. Then you have 5,000 and 10,000. As the numbers get bigger – two things happen. Number one, you don't have enough time to personally be invested in all of those people. And as you hire more employees or have more people join your team, they by default will never care as much about the business as you do as the founder. That's just the reality. I mean with founders all the time, they're like, how can I get my employees to care about this business as much as I do? I'm like, you can't. Because if they did, they wouldn't be employees. They would go be founders. It's a mindset, it's, hmm. a, it's, a, it's a behavior pattern, right? Now, can you get them to care a lot? Absolutely, and how do you get your employees to care a lot about your customers? You show them what it's like to really care. Hmm. You care about your employees. You show them what a remarkable experience is. You can't ask an employee to deliver a remarkable customer experience if they don't know what one is. Wow. You have to show them as an employer what a remarkable employee experience is, and then they'll be able to deliver that remarkable experience to your customers.
1: Man, I'm getting excited and overwhelmed at the same time thinking that this has to start a layer back. <laughs> that, that's incredible. Okay, so, so this, this works right in the culture. This has to start inside the culture. So if I'm gifting my coaching students, why the heck am I not gifting my own team members?
0: Sounds obvious. Bingo. Bingo. Well, you know, here's the thing, Vince, don't be critical of yourself. It, it sounds obvious, but, uh, you know, it's that old phrase about common sense, right? Mm-hmm. Common sense isn't so common anymore. Uh, employee engagement is at an all-time low in society as we measure it. Most businesses care more about the bottom line than they do about their employees. And so, you know, employees don't feel cared for. Then the business doesn't feel like the, you know, the leadership team doesn't feel like the employees care about the business and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They each care less and less about each other. And what happens is the quality players come in, they see that attitude, they see that energy in the culture and they go, "Ugh, I want nothing to do with this and they leave. And what you're left with is the low quality players who just want to run under the radar. Hmm. And so next thing you know, you're trying to grow this business. And build it and have it be focused on a mission and a vision of what you're trying to create. And if you're not taking care of your employees, you're getting people that are just time clock punchers, right? They're just coming in. They're doing their time in their head now. They're not vested in the success of the customers or the business.
1: That's incredible. Hey, I I really want to go – into a couple more reasons maybe the top reasons uh, people are losing customers uh, before we discuss the cost of losing a customer and and even how just a minor uh, retention uh, boost can impact the bottom line short term long term so yeah, let's kind of summarize you know the, the top reasons why why are people exiting you mentioned it a lot just a few minutes ago but Let's kind of give them like the big levers. If someone's going to start taking action today, you know where should their head be when they start communicating with their team members on their next call after today?
0: Sure. well, let, let's let's look at what I think are the three biggest factors in customers leaving. One has to do with biology, one has to do with hierarchy, and one has to do with money. Okay, so the first one, biology. Brain science tells us that when we make a purchase, we sign up for a new product, we get a new service, our brain floods with dopamine. We feel joy, euphoria, excitement. This is the product that's gonna be the answer to my dreams. This is the service that's gonna help me achieve more than I ever thought possible. But almost as quickly as that dopamine is released in our brain, the dopamine starts to recede. And as it recedes, those feelings of joy, euphoria, and excitement are replaced by feelings of fear and doubt and uncertainty. In common parlance, we call this buyer's remorse. Now most of the M5 men listening are very familiar with the phrase buyer's remorse. And yet most businesses don't have a system and a process in their business to address it. Every human on every purchase experiences some level of buyer's remorse. And yet very, very, very few businesses ever want to have this conversation. So there's a biological imperative, right? Because we're back at the office celebrating that we landed the new client, cheering, high fiving, popping champagne, going crazy. Meanwhile, at the client, they're going, wow, I really hope I made the right choice. I hope this works out. If this goes south on me, am I going to be able to get my money back? If this goes really south, is there a chance I might get fired by my boss? or my spouse might get upset with me for having made this investment that didn't work out. The difference between our emotional state in the business celebrating and their emotional state at the time of becoming a customer, that fear and doubt and uncertainty. If we don't close that gap and close it quickly, that is a problem that is going to grow throughout the entire relationship. So that's the biological imperative. Joy, can,
1: can I just yeah. pause you on that quickly? Is there a price point where you notice that really escalates? You know, like I, I, It
0: increases with every dollar. It <laughs> increases gotcha. with every dollar. So that's the point. So the research actually shows people have buyer's remorse when they buy a thing of mints at the checkout counter. Now, that buyer's remorse is instantaneous. It's there and it's almost gone immediately. Why? Because they usually open the tin of mints, pop one in their mouth. They get satisfaction. They're like, oh, I have fresh breath. I guess that was a good investment, right? So it's very quick. It's very fleeting. But as you start to talk to people that have, you know, coaching programs that are thousands of dollars a month, or, you know, we're most familiar with buyer's remorse when it comes to cars or houses, right? The bigger the ticket item, the bigger the buyer's remorse. Not to mention, research actually shows that buyer's remorse exists in a B2B environment too. Some people say, well, wait a minute, Joy, they're not spending their money, they're spending the company's money. I get it, but most employees see themselves as stewards of the company's money, which is why when you're, you may have had this frustrating conversation with an organization before, where you're talking to, you know, an account rep or somebody at the counter, and they're like, well, it's our policy not to do that. And you're like, just give me the little thing. And they're like, ah, it's against our company policy. They're, They're keeping the company's money in that moment. They're choosing to keep the resources of the company in instead of make your life as the customer better. So buyer's remorse exists at all levels of every purchase. So that's the biological problem. So if you sell to human beings... We've got an issue, right? If you don't sell to human beings, please reach out to me. I'd love to learn more about your business, okay? Because at the end of the day, we're all selling to humans. The second issue is a hierarchical or organizational issue. Most businesses have silos, okay? And there's a silo for marketing, a silo for sales, and a silo for account management or relationship management. And what happens is the person who does all the courting in the sales process and convinces the customer to buy, then hands off to an account rep. An account rep that doesn't know anything about the project, doesn't know anything about the relationship. Hopefully the salesperson has written down some notes in whatever CRM or tool you're using to keep track of these things. But as a recovering salesperson myself, it's highly unlikely. And now this new account manager is supposed to take over the relationship and make it work. There's a fundamental flaw in how the customer feels because they feel like they've been courted and dated by the salesperson. And then once they've decided, hey, I want to be in relationship with you, they get handed off to somebody else. It's a fundamental flaw in most businesses. That handoff is usually not only smooth, but usually to take a sports analogy, the baton is being dropped. And if you know anything about track and field, when the baton is dropped, the team is disqualified. Yep. Period. Yep. Same thing happens in your business. If you drop the baton on the handoff between the marketing and sales team and the account management or customer service team, well, guess what? The baton is hitting the ground. That's a nice sound effect, like the baton hitting the ground, Vince. That was, that was effective. I like that. So then we come to the third category, which is money. I find it fascinating that, as a general rule, in every industry, the people who deal with the customer directly are the lowest paid employees.
1: Hmm. So, so the, the person that's maybe acting as the concierge or the actual coaches, the person who's servicing them, uh, who's, who's basically being set up to uh, deliver a unicorn.
0: <laughs> exactly. Is paid the least amount. Huh. now. Where do we see that? Well, call centers. Most bigger businesses, when you call in to get some help, you get a call center. Call center employees have high turnover and low salaries. They don't even get salaries. They get paid hourly. Restaurants. Who's the lowest paid people? Well, the wait staff. Right? At least in the United States, waiters can actually be paid less than minimum wage because there's a presumption that their tips will make up the difference. Mm. So as the owner of the restaurant, you're saying the only person in this place Who's going to talk to the customer? Let's make sure we pay them the least.
1: Yeah, and is that from the mindset? I'd like to sit on that just for a sec because um, yeah, I think the mindset is, yeah, but they're dispensable. Yeah, Joe, I can find another waiter though, or waitress. I can find another uh, sales yeah. rep though yeah. or service rep. These people, yeah, they're, 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 they're a dime totally. a dozen, no?
0: Yeah, I, I, I get that that's often the mindset, but um, the problem is that mindset then permeates into the belief that your customers are a dime a dozen. Ooh. And I can just find another customer. Wow. Well, you can for a while, and then that catches up with you. My man, you just threw some fire. <laughs> so, so I, I believe strongly about this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just what, what I find crazy is most businesses are hemorrhaging customers, and nobody wants to talk about it. If you were to go on Amazon right now, and you were to search in the books category for books on sales, and write down how many hits you got, and then you were to search for the keyword marketing and write down how many hits you got, and you would add those two numbers together, you would get about 1.3 million books that have been written on how to get customers. If you were to wait, erase those results and search for customer service, customer experience, customer loyalty, account management, relationship management, um, customer experience, all the different phrases that you could come up with for what happens after the sale, and add all those numbers together, you get barely thirty thousand. Uh, thirty thousand. Ver- what was it? Thirty thousand versus what? million. Oh, man. So let me, I promised there would be minimal math on the show today, but let me break (laughs) down that math for you. What that means is for every 43 books that have been written on how to get customers, we have one book on how to keep them. Wow. That alone, to me, is indicative of the over-focus, over-reliance on customer acquisition, marketing and sales. And I'm not an anti-marketing and sales guy. I believe that those are important, necessary elements of every business. But what drives me insane is how much we over-index on those, how much we overweight that aspect of our business. You know, you ask, a, you go to the typical business owner and you say, how much do you spend on marketing? And they can tell you. You ask them what their sales numbers are, they can tell you. And then you ask them, how many customers did you lose last year? Well, I don't know. Not that many. Really? Well, start naming some of the ones you lost. Well, we lost Bill. Yeah, we lost Carol. We also lost Jane. We lost Frank and Tommy. Wow, then we had a really bad week where we lost Steve and Janice and Sal. Wow, actually, I, you know, I think we kind of lost a lot of customers now that I think about it. I never really thought about that before. And then we do the math, and they realize that in most businesses, again, they're losing 20 to 80 percent of their new customers. And nobody wants to talk about this. And did you say that was do. in the first 100 days? In the first 100 days! Jeez. In the first 100 days. Now, here's the thing. There's some people, I talk to a lot of uh, financial advisors. (laughs) Financial advisors will often push back on me on this, and I understand it. They'll say, Joey, you can't complete the paperwork to do your investments with us in under three months. You can't get it done in 100 days. We're definitely keeping them longer than that. What the research shows is that if they don't actually leave, cancel, request a refund, return your product, cancel the service, whatever it may be, that they mentally check out. What I mean by that is they decide that the relationship will not expand, that it will not continue past their one-year program if they've signed up for an annual coaching program, for example. It will not continue past the term of their trial membership whatever it may be, they make that decision early on. The first 100 days, how the customer feels on day 101 is more dispositive of the lifetime value of the customer than any other metric we can measure. And what the research shows is if I can get you to day 101 and you're still feeling good about the relationship, you're still feeling positive, you're excited, the typical customer in the typical business will stay for a minimum of five years. That's how important this time period is.
1: Wow! So let me just make sure I got that. So if, if you nail that first hundred days, it
0: could possibly set up five years. Did I did, was that right? You heard that, you heard that absolutely right. If on if if you have made what I like to refer to as the deposits into the karmic bank account, if you have laid a foundation for a solid relationship, if you have successfully onboarded them. Introduce them to your products and services, got them up and using them, help them through the difficult period of kind of getting familiar with how you do business. Once they're in, they have a tendency to stay in. Sure. And we see that in our own behaviors. All of us have some subscription or some membership or something that we continue to pay for every month that we actually don't use as much as we used to but we still refuse to cancel. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, that's, that's This nuts. is human condition. Yeah. This, people ask me, they're like, well, Joey, how does this apply to my business? That's why I come back and I realize it can sound a little triter uh, or, or ridiculous, and I apologize for that, but this is how human beings operate. Hmm. This isn't, oh, this is industry specific or, oh, you don't understand the difference between millennials and Gen X or, oh, but Joey, you don't understand. In my industry, we sell to, you know, via purchase orders. So it's different. No, no, no. If there is a human being on the other side, the brain chemistry is the same. If there is an organization on the other side, the organizational structure and hierarchy is the same. If there are dollars being exchanged, this is what's happened.
1: That's great. So we touched on biology, we touched on hierarchy.
0: Do we cover money yet? Yeah. Money is the fact that the people who interact with your customers the most are the lowest paid. Gotcha. Sorry. That was the, uh, gotcha. So that's okay. So the, 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 to tie a loop around that, cause I didn't, I, you know, we kind of jumped onto some other things. What would happen in your business if the people who dealt with your customers were the highest paid? Hmm. How would that change the dynamic? well, we get some evidence. Let's go back to the restaurant example. If you go to a fine dining restaurant, and I'm going to define a fine dining restaurant as a restaurant where the entrees are in the, are, are right at about three figures, right at about $100 a plate, right, for the entrees, you're probably looking at a two or $300 tab per person for the meal. If you go to those restaurants, Those waiters and waitresses, as a general rule, aren't paid minimum wage. They're paid a significant salary. Plus, they earn tips. I've talked to waiters at fine dining restaurants who make six figures as a waiter. And the company, the restaurant, the owners, the chef are fine with that because they know that the experience is not just the food. The experience is the conversation with the staff, the recommendations, whether they hover or not, whether they're quick to fill up your water glass, whether when you look for them, all you have to do is lift your head and immediately they're at the table, right? That's how you know you're at a restaurant where they have decided not to have the wait staff be the lowest paid employees. I
1: remember a place at the Palm. I think the Palms or the Palm somewhere the in, Palms, yeah. in Las Vegas. I I'd still yeah. send people to this restaurant. Yeah, and the and Palm in Vegas. There's is awesome. this guy. He's uh, you know must be from New Jersey. He's got an Italian accent, and it, it's like you're being entertained. The way he uh, runs through the menu, and then the way he mentions the prices, and just the whole thing. You can't help but smile like a little kid from ear to
0: ear. <laughs> you got to go. Yeah. And when I went back, he was still there. I mean, it's an experience. You had an experience. You just talked about a restaurant that is incredibly well known without mentioning a single word about what you ate. Oh, I don't even remember. Oh, this, is, this guy
1: was – You don't even remember. This guy was amazing. The
0: guy, not it, the meal. Oh, yeah. Right? So here's the thing. In your business, do you want them to remember your people or your product? Yeah. Something to think about. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is this is outstanding. So, you know, cost of losing a customer, maybe like just touch on that, because, uh, you know, I think people need to, I think a little fear is good. <laughs> to be honest, let's scare them a little bit.
0: My theory is, is independent of fear. Let's just talk facts. Sure. Let's okay, do it, yeah. let's talk facts. So we've already talked about the fact that 20 to 80% of your customers will leave before they reach the 100 day mark. Number one. Fact number two, the typical business needs a certain period of time, anywhere from one month to a year to recoup the cost of acquisition. Increasingly, business owners are paying attention to how much it costs them to acquire a customer with marketing, with ad spend, with you know a sales force, all the fixed costs that they have to spend to get that first customer in the door. If they leave before you've recouped that initial spend, you are losing money period. So that creates major problems. In fact, don't take my word for it. Look at research from Harvard University, Stanford University, Bain & Company, Frederick Reichheld, the gentleman who came up with the net promoter score that many business owners have heard about. The research all shows that a 5% increase in retention, if we can increase your retention by just 5%, it will increase your profits by 25 to 100%. Now some people hear that and they go fake news Joey there's no way those numbers don't add up that's ridiculous. How does 5% lead to 25 to 100% increase in profits not revenues profits. Well, it happens because of this. Number 1, the longer you keep a company, or the longer you keep a customer, the more profitable they become. Because you've already recouped the acquisition cost and each dollar you make from them on the future, a greater percentage of that dollar goes to profit because you've already done the setup. Your team has already learned about them. You can operate much faster and more effectively and more efficiently. Right. So as the relationship goes on, you can scale things. Things become more profitable. And most businesses are already running at a profit. So the incremental cost of adding on one more customer is a lot less than the cost of adding the first customer when they had to pay for the rent and the utilities and the Internet and the printer and copier and the salaries of the people who work there. So as we add on the top new customers, that's icing as long as we keep the foundation going. And that icing is much more profitable than the meat of the original customer relationships.
1: Huh. And and that's going to then ultimately lower um, your cost of
0: advertising.
1: Correct. Because, um, because people, for are gonna, two people are going to get you more referrals
0: for one. Exactly. You're going to get more referrals because referrals don't happen at the beginning of a relationship. Referrals happen after you've known someone for a while. After you're sure that you're willing to put your name on the line in recommending them to someone that you know. So usually referrals aren't happening in the first hundred days. They're happening after the first hundred days. So if they leave before the first hundred days, you don't even get a shot at the referrals. You don't even have a chance. Right. So it creates this environment where not only are you able to reduce your marketing and advertising spend because you're getting more referrals, but you're able to recoup your marketing and advertising spend faster because they're staying there longer. So you're not losing money on the ones that leave and then trying to make that up with ones that stay you're able to recoup the marketing expense for every customer because you get them all to stay past the time where you've earned out the acquisition cost.
1: Hmm. This just kind of goes funny. It goes back to some of the very first money advice I ever got as a kid. And I think it was one of my dad's friends and uh, I was getting all caught up saying, oh, but so-and-so makes this and so-and-so makes that. And he goes, Vinny, it's not what you make, it's what you keep.
0: <laughs> a lot of truth to that. a lot of truth to that it's it's the same way with companies that are like oh we're growing so fast we're we're adding a thousand new customers a week i'm like great how many are you losing a week yeah why do you well but we're adding a thousand a week i'm like really great if you're adding a thousand a week my gut instinct tells me you're losing at least 700 if not 1100.
1: well that's really popular um in the information space. So I, yeah. I grew up on eBooks, 2005, I came into the scene, I was selling eBooks until like, you know, still have my whole product suite, but, um, I have friends who do, you know, multi six figures a month and ad spend and revenue from selling, you know, 10 to $20, um, eBooks. And it's, it seems like something just seems off there and then they make their money by selling stuff down the road. But, um, I don't know, the model seems weird. It's,
0: just, well, I don't the, know if I'm the, judging the, or the whatnot. Problem. No, well, I don't know. I mean, and every business is different, and there are some very successful folks in the info marketing space, and there are some folks that kind of jump from product to product in the info marketing space, right? As in any industry, there's some that are doing it well and some that aren't doing it well. What I think is fascinating, though, is I would like to know when lifestyle business became a bad word. Huh. I would like to know when we agreed that scale was what you should be striving for. Ooh. I found myself at so many events and conferences where people are like, you need to scale, you need to scale, you need to get bigger, you need to have more customers, you have more employees, more ad spend, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, really? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that that's true. Yeah. I don't know that more is better. Because in a lot of places – more is not better. Yeah. More, more means more headache. More means more heartache. More means more risk. More means a greater fall if you stumble.
1: I'm so, there, so happy you're saying this. I to let you keep going though, because I'll, I'll share a few things at the end. Here. No, I
0: was just going to say, I, I think what I would love, I would love business owners especially, but I think we can all do this as human beings, to just sit quietly and do an honest assessment what's enough?
1: Uh, I think, I think just enough would be, um, something that relates to, um, your students, your clients winning. I feel like if a company's heart is not around students winning, then you can get caught up in the more, but when you shift it to, you know, look how many of our students started here and now are here that, that really, I think shifts that, uh, that ability to um, maybe shift your word for the year, if you will. I have a new word for for this for this year, 2019, is sitting right in front of me. Um, actually, two words, and it's stabilize and save. Um, last year it was different, <laughs> but it's sure. uh, it's a new mindset. It's it is a. Uh, but uh, I think I, if you don't mind just sitting on the the digital info um, question for a second, like you know, what are some simple actionable things people? could do, who are in that world, they have no intention of going higher price. They are doing the lower dollar thing. How could they exponentially improve their business model by, you know, thinking that each of these transactions is not $10, but perhaps a thousand dollars. And I think that really forces you to, but like, if you could get that at that, that's going to change the way you do things.
0: Well, I think most businesses um, would benefit from really examining the lifetime value of their customer, right? So a lot of those products that are selling like a $10 lead magnet, right? It's because they want to get them in the funnel to then sell them other things that are more expensive or at a higher price point. The problem with a lot of that mindset, and I'm I'm not saying this applies to everyone. I want to be very clear. I have a number of friends that are in the info product space that deliver some incredible products, but... The problem with that mindset often is that, well, we just got to give them anything to get 10 bucks because then we'll get them in the funnel where we can really squeeze them. And the challenge is we are living in an era where lack of information is not the problem. It used to be back in the day that it was difficult to get a book. Now, when I say back in the day, I'm talking about 200 years ago right here in the United States, Ben Franklin was famous for having a library and he would lend his books to people who he wanted to curry favor with because books were so valuable. Now I can go on the internet and pretty much read every book that has ever been written for free. I can pretty much get the top thinking from the top minds on any topic in the world for free and probably watch a 16 minute TED talk about it, or read a free downloadable 50 page ebook on it. So, if you're selling information, it's got to be quality information. What you're really doing is you're curating, you're taking the information that is available in the world, you are doing the homework for me so that I can download one ebook or PDF instead of having to download 50 and read all of them. I'm being, you know, my presumption is you've done the homework, yep. so this is going to be quality. Now, the crazy thing about a lot of info products, and we see this a lot in the internet marketing space around launches, there's a dirty little secret that most of the people who do online launches don't want you to know. The secret has two components. Number one, the average refund rate on an info product launch. Depending on the product, I'm I'm generalizing here because I've looked at a lot of different industry subsets within info products, but it hovers somewhere between 40 and 60%. So let me explain that. People buy it and they request a refund within the refund period. And the people that do that represent 40 to 60% of the people who purchased at launch. So let's take the the midpoint of that and say 50%. So let's say you sold a million dollar a million dollars at launch. Well, before 3 months in, before the 100 days, half of those people have asked for their money back. So now you're down to 500,000. The second secret that most folks don't want you to know is that when they launch and promote with affiliates, the deal they make with the affiliate is that the affiliate gets 50%. Some affiliates get 95%, some affiliates get 100%. Again, depending on the industry, depending on what it's doing. So you could do a million dollar launch that based on refunds drops to 500,000 and based on payouts to affiliates drops to, oh yeah, you lost money on the launch.
1: Yikes, but you got the customer.
0: (laughs) But you got the customer, really, did ya? I'm not so sure, right? If if that many so people are dropping So this goes back out, to that yeah. exactly. So this goes back to that conversation around scale. Like, why does it just have to be more? I'd rather see somebody do a launch, get ten customers, treat those customers like gold, so that the next time we want to do a launch, those ten customers say, "I don't know what it is. I don't care what you're doing. I'll buy it right now." Hmm.
1: Hey, you're speaking to people's identity right now, you know, because very much so. you know what I'm saying? Very, so, much, you know, very
0: much so. Yeah. You know, these
1: events, you know, uh, I do. you know, I what do. kind of, you know, what kind of measuring contest it can turn into Yeah, and you start to find your identity in how much and how much you did, but not say how you did it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Well, that's, speak to it goes back to your that. point. Like, oh, it, it's, a, it's like the thing you were told when you were a little kid. Oh, but look how much I made. Look how much I made. How much did you keep? Hmm. Yeah. Speak. It's a great point.
1: Th- just speak to, you know, you've seen probably this, you know, you know, the intricacies of maybe big businesses and, um, What's really going on under the hood, if you will? Maybe just reassure us. Give us a vision for what we should strive <laughs> for. You know, like what should I'm 39 years old. You know, where should my head be at? Like, I want to go the distance. I've already been, you know, doing this for almost 15 years, but I feel like I'm just getting started. But I'm aware uh, that things can break, uh, as you described before we hit record, at different mile markers. And uh, yeah, and yeah. I want to be mentally ready, and I want to. Yeah, just kind of speak to a vision that I should embrace, that you just know, like, hey, Vinny, if you, if you, if you can get this figured out, man, you're going to do great, and so will the people around you.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate the question, and, and what I'm about to share is definitely stuff that I've learned by trial and error, and I've learned from having friends and colleagues and mentors and advisors who have been there, done that, got the T-shirt, right, who are further down the path than me. A couple things come to mind. First and foremost, if you want to go the distance, Realize you're running a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. Period. Stop thinking, oh my gosh, I need to crank 20 hours a day, every day. Stop working on the weekends. Stop sacrificing your sleep, your significant other, your children if you have them, your friends, your health, your mental acuity, your bank account, for pursuit of some imaginary goal that you think is gonna make you feel fulfilled, but I guarantee is not. Wow. So that's where I'd start. Yeah. (laughs) Now, to do that, in my experience, requires not only a lot of effort on the front end, but you must remain vigilant. You must be a vigilant guard against your own behaviors and your own conditioning. Let's talk briefly about sleep, because I know a lot of your folks and a lot of your listeners are very conscious of health, right? Mm. Um, I used to think, and I used to regularly tell people, I'll sleep when I'm dead. (laughs) Man, and I said that like a badge of courage. There, There is a, a buddy of mine. We both had businesses in a co-working space. This is probably about 15, 20 years ago. And we used to call it going for the gold medal. And the gold medal was the guy who was the last one to leave the office. And at night, we would turn around and say to each other, whenever somebody left, we'd walk over to the other guy's desk and go, you get the gold tonight and then walk out. It was a sick game. Huh. It was a sick game that was designed to push us both to work harder and harder. But the problem was this wasn't around a launch. It wasn't around a specific time period. This was every single day for years. Hmm. Why? So what happened? Why? Well, eventually, I used to count my all-nighters. Right. So I would do an all nighter, right, where you don't go to sleep that night. You just work into the next day. And I used to count them to see how many I would have in a year. My biggest year was 37 all nighters. 37 times over the course of a year. Holy, so more than 10%. And so this wasn't because of kids. No, no, this is before <laughs> I, just, I had kids. I want to clarify that. <laughs> oh my God, are you kidding me? I've got two kids now. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Oh, oh nice. man, I can't, I'd like uh, the only time I do an all-nighter now is if one of them is sick, yeah, yeah. right? And I got I to gotta stay up and take care of them. But even then, I'm fortunate, you know, my wife and I were able to tag team on that, right? Yeah, so yeah. it works pretty well, but no, I, I, and I used to wear that like a, a badge of courage. And then I had a really interesting conversation with my then girlfriend, now wife. And she said to me, I know that you think you're the same person when you've had an all-nighter, but you might be surprised to find out that you're not. Sure. And I was like, whoa, wait a second, what? She goes, I, she said, I'm not being critical. I'm not trying to uh, tell you what to do. But I just want you to know that as an observer, I can tell whether you've had a good night's sleep or not. And I had thought that I was snowing the world, Vinny. I had thought that no one knew. I had thought that, man, I walk into a meeting, even if it's been an all nighter, they have no clue. Guess what? At some level they did, whether it was conscious or subconscious. So that ties back to what we were saying about, you know, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. What are you doing to take care of your health? What are you doing to take care of your relationships, your friendships, your family? Because I don't care how successful your business is. If you don't have those things, you will have a life that is lacking. And if you doubt the validity of that statement, all you have to do is talk to, oh, someone like Warren Buffett, one of the richest people in the world, who talks about how much he misses his wife who passed away. Or you talk to anybody who's at the top of the game who is on spouse number four. No kidding. Or even, you know, and, and let me be clear. I, I'm not judging people who get divorces. Okay. There are reasons and there are often good reasons but you can't tell me oh man my business is crushing it i'm uber successful when you're 50 pounds overweight you're minutes away from a heart attack you're on marriage number 4 your kids don't talk to you i don't care how much money you're making that's not a life i want to live oh. now that's my choice the thing is i don't know a lot of people who are living that life that it's a conscious choice i think it is the result of lots of little cuts along a career of little times where they said, I'm not going to care about that or I'm going to cut that corner or I'm going to, you know, cheap out on that or I'm going to, you know, not deliver what I had promised. And it just stacks and it stacks and it stacks Wow, geez.
1: Hey, I I didn't know what vigilant meant, and I looked it up. (laughs) For those who also don't know, it means watchful, on the lookout, observant, sharp-eyed, ego-eyed. I'm curious now, um, who – you know, has inspired you or been a model for you personally to value being watchful. And, and the word my father uses is having margin in your life. He's he's mm. uh, most critical in, in a constructive and a loving way. And I'm glad he introduced this concept to me. But he says to me, Vince, you have no margin in your life. You're always, yeah. you know, when I'm with you, you're there's no like ever downtime.
0: And I'm just curious, uh, <laughs> you how know, the, you, and has I, this I, become valuable for you? I, I've, I've not met your father, Vince, but I like him already. I, uh, I think the interesting thing here is, uh, and I say this from a place of love and respect, I think all too often we don't realize that until much later in the game. I'm one of seven kids. My dad's in his 70s. And he's said to me on more than one occasion, Joey, I am a much, much better grandfather than I was a father. And I think he was an amazing father. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Did he have his – no human being does everything right, right? No human being does everything wrong in my opinion. Um so he was incredibly loving. He was there for us. He was an amazing provider. Uh he did amazing amazing things. Were there areas of improvement? Sure, there always are. But what I find fascinating is here's a guy who is you know most likely on the back nine of life as we think about, you know, playing around a round of golf, like right? That, You're yeah. either on the front nine or the back nine. You're on the front nine, Vince. Mm-hmm. Right? You're on the front nine. You want to get to the back nine and you want to get to the back nine, not dragon, right right not like you know, oh my God, I can barely get you know a step in front of me. um when you ask me about who's inspired me or who served as my inspiration, oh my gosh, so many, so many people, I mean. Uh, you know, I'm inspired by my wife who, you know, uh, d- d- supports me incredibly and encourages me to be cognizant of my decisions and helps me remember when I'm not being present. I'm inspired by my two boys. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old who are really good at reminding me when I'm not focused. Uh, I got a five really? and a three-year-old, so I'm living you, the you same life as you. You know this goes, right? Yeah. You know, where they're, daddy, oh, daddy, oh, yeah. look at me, not your phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The first time that happens, it's like a gut punch, Whew. okay? Here's the problem. It's happened more than once, I bet. Mm. So was it a gut punch? Or did we decide that the punch wasn't strong enough? Yeah, you're speaking real now. I'm, you know what I mean? And, I, and, and, and let me be clear, I am a work in progress. I am not, I have not figured out all the answers but I'm trying to piece together a philosophy and a mindset so that I serve as an example. I see so many parents today that complain about their kids and technology. Ah, my kids always want the iPad. My kids are always on the phone, blah, blah, blah. Really? What about you? Oh. Where do you think they learned that? They observed it. Kids are sponges. Oh, yeah. They learn from their environment, all humans do. So that's part of what I'm talking about when I say vigilant and I appreciate you defining it. I mean, it's standing guard. Vigilant means being on the watchtower, defending the castle, protecting the core, being observant of anything that would try to get through. That includes bad thoughts, bad ideas, bad people, and I'm not just talking about people that would do you ill. I'm talking about the people who come in as a wolf, as a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. The people that claim to be your friends, but always seem to, when you succeed, want to knock you down a couple pegs or diminish your success. Oh, I landed new this client. Oh, wow. Good, man. Because you really haven't landed one in a while. Oh, man, you know, I, I was at the gym and I had my my personal record. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I, I go to the gym twice a day. What, yeah. you go once a day? Oh, okay. I go twice a day. One-uppers, yeah. Yeah. One-uppers and vampires. Yeah. People that suck the life and the energy out of a room. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, no, no.
1: We call them, my dad calls them VDPs, very draining people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, they – um they don't want to see you win you know they're not you know my dad um if he ever writes a book one day i'm gonna have him it's gonna be he should um, i like it he should
0: write a book based on what i've heard thus
1: far he's got some great whiz he's um he he can teach uh, how to be an encourager how to be your number one fan like if if you talk to a number of people that know him they'll all say oh your dad's my number one fan Yeah. And it's not what he says, but what he does, like, you know, if he he meets you, Joe, he's going to start posting on your stuff.
0: (laughs) I get it. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Years ago, my maternal grandfather, we were at his funeral and he was an amazing, amazing man. He was a man's man. I'm getting a little choked up talking about him. I mean, this was a guy who was smart as a whip. He was career Air Force. Uh, he was a navigator. He flew spy missions. He, you know, protected and defended the country, he looked out for his family, he played semi-pro football. I mean, he was a lifeguard. I mean, this is, he was an Adonis, right? But he was smart too. He wasn't just good looking and strong. He had a great mindset. He focused on his family. He had a clear mission. He did all, he would have been a perfect candidate to be an M5 man. Hmm. All right. like I mean, he would have been the guy you would have put on the poster and he would have said, this is what we're striving for. Amazing, amazing human being. We're at the funeral. My great aunt gets up for uh, to eulogize him. And interestingly enough, I'm just realizing his name was Vince, too. Hmm. And he said and she says. I was Vince's favorite. And the entire congregation starts laughing. Hmm. And they're laughing because they all felt the same way. Wow. They all felt that they were his favorite. And everybody knew that they thought they were his favorite, but that he was such a loving and generous and amazing man that that's how he showed up in the world. That's a life worth living. Yeah, I would love to at my funeral, have somebody get up and say, I was Joey's favorite and have the congregation laugh. No kidding. That would be a life well lived and fully spent.
1: Joey, it's kind of crazy. I'm sure you noticed, but we kind of went off on a bit of a tangent, just talking about (laughs) the challenges with scale and where it can lead. And now we've kind of come back to how this, this, uh, This man in your life is like, this is almost like him living out the core of your entire work of helping other companies and people retain customers at the core of it. It's being other people's, you know, fans and how you make them feel. Wouldn't you agree?
0: 100%. 100%. I also believe there are no mistakes. I believe we're guided where we're supposed to go. And uh, yeah, I You know, my background is crazy eclectic. I was a criminal defense lawyer. I worked in the intelligence community. I sold promotional products. Uh, You know, I taught at the postgraduate collegiate level. I mean, I've had this – I had an ad agency designing logos and websites, and now I'm a full-time professional speaker. My career is crazy eclectic. Mm. But the common thread that connects all of those things is – In each of those positions, the way you succeeded and excelled was by having a keen understanding of the human condition. Why do people do the things they do? And what can we do to persuade or convince them to do the things we want them to do? So that's a common thread that's cut through my entire career. And at the end of the day, I think the joy and the gift and the wonder of being human is something that most humans take for granted. We we don't, you know, and it's it's a phrase that I imagine many of your listeners have heard before, you know, we're called human beings, but we've decided to become human doings. We've decided to make it about the next milestone, the next zero in the bank account, the next zero on the barbell, you know, and, and instead of saying, wow, I'm, I'm making progress and that's fulfilling. I'm improving at a pace that works for me and allows me to have some semblance of balance across the key categories of my life. And I feel good about that. And I'm proud of that. And I'm committed to that and I'm focused on that. I mean, it's why I like your your five M's, right? I think they're they're really, um, they really touch on the key areas of life, Mm -hmm. right? And we we could, you know, from the branding guy in me says, yeah, the five M's makes it nice and they all stack together and, you know, but they, uh, I would encourage your listeners and I'm sure they do, but like, don't get caught in the word. So muscle falls under a bigger umbrella of health. Yes. Which I imagine you would agree with, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. not about just muscle, right? It's what it um, represents. Money yeah, yeah. isn't just about your bank account. Yeah. It's about your relationship with your lifestyle. Yes. Right? Um, marriage doesn't have to just be about a spouse. It can include your family. Yes. Both. Going up with your parents and your aunts and uncles and your siblings and going down with your kids, right? If you have kids or and if you don't have kids, you know, maybe you have a friend that, you know, I know plenty of folks who don't have children but serve as parents in their community and to their friends because they're role models for the young people. So, you know, I think looking at these different categories of your life and saying – how am I doing? Doing an honest assessment and an honest score and then deciding where do you want to double down and not always making it the money because that's the easy one. That's the easy, easy one compared yeah. to all others. Like, yeah.
1: Our <laughs> pastor is really clear on it's not uh, what you make, but how you make it
0: and who you become in the process. Yeah. Which is, I believe money is the magnifier. Yeah. The more money you have, you just become more of what you were before you had money. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. (laughs) So many people are like, oh, I'm going to become a philanthropist. I'm going to start giving money once I have more. No, you're not. You're not. You're just not. I'm sorry. All the data, all the research shows you're not. Yeah. How you are now is how you're going to be then. You're just going to be bigger. Okay, well. Get the building blocks in place early on. Because let me tell you, it's a lot easier to get them in place when you're younger than when you're older. Yeah. No, oh, man. Kidding. If I could turn back the clock, you know, people, you know, they kind of do that thing like, oh, if you could go back to being, you know, 18 years ago, 18 years old, would you? Yes and no, right? Yeah, right. What I, I don't want to lose all the amazing experiences that I've had and the people I've met and the relationships I've developed since then. But man, if I could get some of this thinking into younger minds, thinking that it's a marathon, not a sprint, thinking that that thing, you know, one, one of the things I ask myself when things are hitting the fan and really going poorly, and like it's just miserable, right? And it happens to everybody. It happens to, to everybody on the planet, and it happens more often than we admit or acknowledge. What I try to ask myself is 10 years from now, Will I even remember this? Jeez. This thing that feels so horrible, so miserable, so painful, so difficult. Will I even remember it? And chances are, nine times out of ten, when I ask myself that question, the answer is no, I won't. Then the secondary question is then why am I perseverating over it? Why am I worrying about it? Why am I anxious about it? Why am I losing sleep about it? Why am I stressing out about it? Why am I freaking out about it? If it's not, if it's a blip on the radar. And we haven't even gotten into a conversation about the fact that I think we're on the edge of being able to live forever. Huh. Do we want (laughs) that? (laughs) Vince, that is the great question, right? So, if we have that capability, do you want it?
1: Yeah. What's the urgency of today, then? (laughs) If there's if the clock's not ticking, what's the what's the rush? You know, where's the intentionality of today?
0: But does that make it easier to run the marathon?
1: Uh, Yeah there needs to be a there needs to be a pace. You know, (laughs) there needs to be a way to measure how you're doing. yeah, Maybe. this is another podcast. Oh,
0: know, it's a, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? It's it's, it's a big it's a it's a, a big question that cuts to the core of uh, human condition and and philosophical thinking for centuries.
1: Yeah, I guess it's it depends we're, we're on all, how are, you see your purpose yeah. on earth, you know, what your you know, are you here for someone else's mission or your own mission and I guess uh, that'll dictate, you know, the, the length of time you need. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this has been fascinating. Hey, you know, we, we're like midway through the, <laughs> uh, not even at the halfway point of the, the questions I wanted to uh, cover today, but, uh, you know, maybe we can kind of like just accelerate. Um, this has been, by the way, extremely, extremely valuable. One of our, our most insightful calls, there's been so many deep points here just to really be thoughtful and take away and really, you know, uh, let some new ideas and actions come from some of these conversations. Um, I'd love just to maybe with the last 10 minutes here, just kind of accelerate into um, to the core of your work, which um, is absolutely fascinating. And maybe just um, we can run through a couple ideas. I really want you to kind of encourage everyone with regards to the power of uh, retention and how it can be, you know, how it can differentiate your brand. And um, that's something I never th- thought of. And I'd love you, for you to, well, let's start there. Let's start there. So, you know, you got all these online fitness coaches, you know, I'm coaching coaches who help people lose weight, build muscle. And if you go their Instagram page, for the most part, it says something to the degree of online fitness coach. Well, a lot of online fitness coaches out there and let's say, all right, this guy's invested into one of, you know, my students and they've signed up for a 12-month weight loss program what are some things that they can now really say, all right, awesome, this person's about to be blown away because, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to get a meal plan, they're going to get check-ins, they're going to get pretty good workouts. Um, but, yeah, wh- what's the secret? What, what, what's possibly that you're probably pretty confident having done this for a long time, what's likely missing from their customer experience that we can start including, if you will, into their, into their recipe?
0: Well, I would say the number one thing that most businesses could benefit from focusing on is the emotional state of your customer at every step in the customer journey. I think a lot of businesses, um, well, a lot of businesses don't even think about the customer journey. They just give them the product or the service and then they're done. The ones that do think about the customer journey have a tendency to over-index or think too much about the tactical aspect. Well, at this part, they get this item, then they get this item, then they get this item, and it's just kind of boom, 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 pieced out that way. Then there's the group of people that say, okay, well, that measures the tactical steps or stepping stones in the journey. What is the mental and emotional state of the customer? as they navigate through this journey. And so I think uh, putting attention and focus towards how your customers are feeling is really valuable. We talked about it earlier, that buyer's remorse, right? What are you doing to counter their feelings of fear, doubt, and uncertainty? What happens when we get to the acclimate phase, because there are eight phases that a a customer has the potential to go through in in their journey with you. When they get to the acclimate phase, that's where the customer is starting to use your product or service for the first time. And they're unsure of how to do it. I mean, there's a reason why lots of products come with directions. It's because we're not sure how to use it when we first get it. Uh, there's a reason why lots of service programs come with a detailed project plan or implementation plan, because we're not sure what comes next as the customer. Now, as the organization is the brand is the company. We know exactly what comes next because we've done this hundreds of times, thousands of times, tens of thousands of times. You know, if we were to walk into the gym together, Vince, my gut instinct is, you know, exponentially more about working out than I do. That's just my gut instinct. One only need look at your Facebook profile picture, right? And they've got a pretty clear understanding of that. Um, So what's are your Skype profile picture, I guess, is the one I'm looking at. (laughs) So the the moral of the story, I don't know what the Facebook one is, um, but the moral of the story is, uh, are we, you know, if I'm your customer and we go into the gym, are you presuming that I know what comes next or are you holding my hand and showing me? Right. So I think there's a real opportunity to navigate the emotional state, because when we walk in, if I'm with you, I'm going, oh, geez, I don't know nearly as much as this guy goes. Gosh, he's probably going to be looking at me going, oh, that's bad form. I bet he's going to be looking and going, oh, that number's smaller than my number, what he's putting up on the bench press. You know, we get into our heads (laughs) with all these stories. I'm not saying you would do that. Right. But that's how I would be feeling. Sure. Right. Even though All of our conversation indicates that that's not how you would show up. In my brain, the story I'm telling myself is that. So what are the stories your customers are telling themselves as they use their product, as they use your product? What are the stories they're telling themselves? You know, you have somebody join your mastermind group. They come in and you're thinking, wow, they're psyched. They're stoked to come and be part of the mastermind. You know what they're thinking in the beginning? I don't even know if I belong. Yeah. Yeah, I could write the check, but oh man, I get into the private Facebook group all these people are in. There's a lot of big questions going around here. They're using words I don't know. They're talking about things in their business that I'm not even close to having. God, I'm not going to be able to provide any value. Let me tell you how extreme this gets. I found myself having a conversation with a billionaire. Okay? It's pretty rare to be able to have a conversation with a billionaire one-on-one. We were having dinner together. And we were talking uh, and we were talking about my business and this guy was dropping gems of, of benefit to me. I mean, it was just wisdom after wisdom after wisdom, not just knowledge, but wisdom, right? Wisdom comes through time and experience. And this guy was helping me avoid decades of mistakes based on his experience in business and what he'd done. And we're having fun and he's a great guy and we're chatting it up. And uh, we get to the end of the conversation and he's happy and I'm happy. And all of a sudden I go, wow, look, I got to tell you, I I feel a little awkward. I feel like this has kind of been a lopsided conversation. I got so much value from you. I... I haven't felt like I've been able to provide any value to you. Is there anything I can do? I, I don't even know what I could possibly do, but is there anything I can do for you? And he got really quiet and he's like, well, thanks for asking. He said, you know, you gave me a lot just by letting me share my experience. You know, I want to help others, you know, to succeed. And I was like, oh, well, I appreciate that. And he said, but um, can I ask you a question about your relationship with your wife? I was like, Absolutely. And so we started talking about my relationship. And he said to me, I've been married for 10 years. I got two kids. In another country, I've got a mistress with two kids. And I just don't know how to do personal relationships. And I'm sabotaging both of them, and I know I am. It's a hot mess, and I'm, you know, other people are starting to be the victims of my behavior, i.e., my kids, and my spouse, and my mistress. And you just seem to have this relationship thing figured out. Can we talk about it? And I got to be honest, Vinny, I was blown away. I was blown away. Here I am sitting with a billionaire thinking, what do I have to offer? And he says to me, you have to offer the fact that you understand how to be in a committed relationship with your spouse. And I don't understand that. So can you help me with that? Well, good for him asking for just, I agree. I agree. I was blown away. And to me, the moral of the story is we, there's always something we can give. Yeah. There's always something we can share. And we never know what the other person is thinking and feeling. Even when we ask them, we may not know. So to bring this back, because yeah, we, hey, we and, have and a whole, I again, think it's right?
1: awesome that you like, I've always, I've been in that situation too. And I just don't even, it's, yeah, you can feel the energy off and, and putting it out there almost sounds like they're just going to say, no, nah, man, I'm okay. But you kind of, cause you say you said, you set yourself up for a bit of uh, you know, you got a little vulnerable there. Like, is there something I can yeah. do like, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Cause that could well, have been a bit of a blow if he's like, oh man, I'm good.
0: Yeah, exactly. Then you're like, oh great. So I just, get to go, so, <laughs> so I did, so thanks, I did thanks just, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, you you're, got zero value. Okay. <laughs> thanks. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Well, um, but yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, so the, to, to bring this back to the business conversation we were having, um, Try to step into the shoes of your customers. Try to experience what they're feeling. Try to experience what they're going through. I think every business owner should sign up for their product once a year. Should go through the sign-up process. Create an anonymous name. Go online and buy your product. Sign up for your service and go through it. Secret shop yourself. Uh, You know, I've never heard that before. Secret shop yourself. Secret shop yourself and see how it's going. Because by the way, as your business gets bigger, you are going to lose track of what's actually happening.
1: I've never heard that before. That's so good. Oh, that's incredible. Well, I,
0: I will tell you it's something that I, I've come across and done it with a number of clients who have been horrified at the results. No okay, kidding. so be beware that the advice I'm giving might leave you not happy when you secret shop yourself and you realize how much stuff is not going the way it was supposed to be going um i sat in a meeting not too long ago where we went through what was supposed to be happening and as the ceo who'd come up with the idea said and then this happens in this phase and i'm looking at the room and the account managers are all like what's he talking about and i actually stopped the meeting and i said so i'd like to um just acknowledge we're gonna have the ceo go through the whole map of the customer journey and we're going to put little post-it notes up on the wall, identifying all the things that happen. And then I would like one of the account reps to go through and for each point say what percentage of the time it actually happens. And the CEO is like, well, it'll be 100. I was like, we'll see. <laughs> so the CEO goes through, puts everything up. Count rep gets up and goes, yeah, this I've never heard of this. This has never happened with any of the accounts I manage. And the CEO is like, what? And I said, no, 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 Shh, quiet. It's not your turn. You already got the turn to lay out the bed. And we went through. And what happens is as businesses grow – the importance of doing these little steps in the process it goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning if you're not explaining to your employees the importance of the experience if you're not showing them the importance of the experience and then you're asking them to execute on a set of steps that you know are designed to create a remarkable customer experience but they don't know why they're there it's easy for them not to do that step and to go ah oh, we didn't need that and just move forward and suddenly a key part of your process a key element of how you're hoping to create a remarkable remarkable experience and stand out in the crowd and be a brand differentiator is gone. And you didn't even know it went away. Yikes. That's why I like to do it at least once a year. Because stuff stuff falls off. It's the human condition. It's the way it works. It's kind of like our habits, right? right. Our diet, you know? I was really good. I was like crushing it. I was king of salads. I was pescatarian. I was eating clean. I had a period last year where I was like, "Oh my god, this is the third time I've been to Wendy's this week." Yeah, and I love me some Wendy's. Don't get me wrong; it's tasty, but it's not good for me. Yeah, yeah,
1: it, and it's even like what it represents too. Good. You know, it's what it represents: eating out all the time. Oh, yeah. It's like you're, you're maybe you're living too fast. You don't have time to. Yeah, uh, or
0: I'm too busy. Exactly. I, you know, I, I I can reward myself. You know, yeah. and yeah
1: it's where yeah. it's coming from but hey um man oh man i feel like we got to either wind down or like put another hour on the clock here so um you know <laughs>
0: well, i maybe come back another time happy to come back another time yeah and, and maybe we
1: can just kind of um wrap up with um, just, you know, you've got an entire system around the first 100 days. And maybe you could just introduce the concept of the first 100 days, how the AAs fit into it. And um, I'd love for you just to drop maybe a soundbite on the John James quote in the book on the difference between customer experience and customer service. Because when I was working out in my basement, I heard that and all of a sudden I just stopped my workout and I wrote it down. I'm like, Wow. That is so awesome. So, um, and then maybe we can brainstorm one idea that, um, you would be shocked if I had implemented in my coaching business that I could, uh, add and that others listening could incorporate as well. And we could wrap up. How's that sound?
0: All right. Sounds good. You, you keep me on task. I'll try to stay focused. So here, here, here are the eight A's. So eat, I believe there are eight phases, eight steps of the customer journey, and they all start with the letter A, with the theory being if you're getting them all right, your customers are giving you straight A's on Ooh, your I, report I didn't card. know that part you, of it. Cool. Good, right? Um, so here's the deal. The first phase is the ass- the assess phase. This is when a prospect is considering whether or not they want to do business with you. Common parlance, we call this marketing and sales, right? At this phase, you want to preview for your prospective customer what the experience of doing business is going to be like. You don't want to overly focus on benefits and features of your product or service. You wanna think about how can we give them the feelings that we hope to give them once they actually become a customer. We then move to phase two, the admit phase, day one of the first hundred days. This is when the prospect acknowledges that they have a problem or a need that they believe you can help them with. Okay, they sign on the dotted line, they hand over their hard-earned cash. They're feeling good about this because they've made a decision, right? The dopamine releases. They then move to phase three, the affirm stage. This is that bio remorse that we talked about. They begin to doubt the decision that they just made. Okay, the dopamine goes away. They feel fear, doubt, and uncertainty about the relationship. In this phase, you need to jump in, acknowledge their feeling, and reaffirm their decision-making process. Reaffirm the promises you made in the sales process that you're going to deliver on now that they are a customer. We then move to phase four, the activate phase. This is where you energize the relationship and formally start to work together. This is the first real moment of truth, right? When they get your product and they unbox it and they start using it for the first time or the first time you deliver on the service or the kickoff meeting, whatever it is, that first official customer interaction. Are we maximizing the value of that? Are we laying a foundation so that they understand that doing business with us is going to be unlike any other business experience they've ever had. Now I'll be honest Vince, most businesses do a decent job in those first four phases or at least three of the four, right, with some work to be done in the affirm phase. But here's where the wheels start to fall off. We then come to phase five, the acclimate phase. This is where you hold your customer's hand and help them get familiar with your way of doing business. You've done this dozens of times, hundreds of times, thousands of times. For a new customer, they don't know what comes next. You have to show them. You have to tell them, and you have to do it again and again. Now, sometimes people say to me, but Joey, we wrote it down in the proposal, all the steps in the process. Folks, you sign stuff that you don't read all the time and so do your customers, okay? They don't remember that, they didn't read that, they don't even know where that document is. You need to remind them every step of the way and hold their hand and make sure they're moving from step to step to step through the use of your product or service. And then, if we've done our jobs well, they reach phase phase six, the accomplish phase. This is when the customer achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to do business with you. Every prospect has something they're hoping to achieve. If we don't know what that is, write it down, track our progress against it, we're not going to be able to join them in celebrating when they accomplish the goal. And if they've accomplished the goal, and only if they've accomplished the goal, we have the opportunity to transition them to phase seven, the adopt phase. This is where the customer becomes loyal to you and your brand. They're not price shopping. They're not looking around anywhere else. They are committed to you. They will buy anything that you produce. They are fully in the fold. And if, and only if, we've achieved all of those seven phases, we've worked the customer through all of them, we've been right there holding their hand, they reach phase eight the advocate phase. This is where the customer becomes a raving fan, referring friends and colleagues alike to join your business. They're an uncompensated, uncommissioned sales force that can really help you grow and develop and augment your business. In the advocate phase, where most businesses fail is they don't actually acknowledge the value of the referral. They just say, oh, thanks for that referral. But they don't share a gift or a present or a thank you note or a public call out or some type of significant acknowledgement of how much that referral is valued. So those are the eight phases. You might not get through all eight in the first hundred days. But you'll be well into, at the very least, the acclimate phase in the first 100 days. And if you can pull the, uh, some accomplishment acts forward into the first 100 days, it will help you retain a customer much beyond that.
1: Yeah, that acclimate phase is deadly. That's the one we're really focused on right now, just uh, having everybody – you know, holding you know, because that takes so much follow through. It's, it's easy to start stuff. Hey, let's implement this. This will be great. But yeah, now, yeah. it's okay. So if we're gonna write send a, a personalized book to each person each month, it's like I've got to be now in tune with where everybody's business is at, and I got to think, okay, uh, do they have this book yet, um, or should I get this? It just requires effort. It's it's real. It's real effort. It, Absolutely, it, it's an expression of really caring, though. I mean, when that, I think. Um, I've experienced this on the other side. I'm like, wow, this person really does care about me because this took time for them to orchestrate. And now I'm like, I want my people to experience this as well too. So, um, (laughs) this has been awesome. Hey, let's, this is so, so good, man. I, I'm so grateful for you, man. Joey, like you've really embraced something that people need so badly and, uh, and I just love how you've just really created a whole framework and uh, we're going to talk about your book in a second, but let's just brainstorm one quick thing for, uh, you know, you, I know you uh, work with organizations and uh, likely, you know, um, guys like myself, I'm assuming uh, to help them customize this and, and systematize this for their own yeah. business. And uh, what, what's that all about? You know, maybe, I, I, cause I'm obviously really curious. Um, I feel like we're doing this, but I'm starting to wonder like how much I might, might be, might a am I likely missing (laughs) in, um, what does a customization process look like for a potential client that says, Hey, Joey, I want to, I want to personalize this thing for us. How does it look like to work with you? And, uh, maybe kind of just, uh, you know, pitch an idea that would be like Vince, we definitely, this could be a great idea for you.
0: Yeah. So let me, let me outline a little framework potentially for how to think about this and then a specific example of something you could do. So I see the words systematize, customize and personalize as three very distinct and different things. Hmm. The first thing you need to do is systematize. You need to acknowledge that your customers are on a journey and walk through that journey, identifying the specific touch points and steps you want them to have and that they're going to need to have to successfully navigate through all eight phases. Then we customize by looking at the touchpoints we've created and figuring out, depending on the type of customer we're dealing with, because you have different personas you serve, right? Somewhere between two and six is what we want that to be, right? We want it to be no more than six, and probably it's going to be at least two. We want to customize each of those touchpoints to fit into the persona, because different people are going to want to have it presented different ways. Last but not least, we personalize. This is where we get hyper focused on making those communications and those interactions personal to the actual individual we're delivering. So you see, first we get the system in place. Then we customize, which puts an extra layer on the system that makes it feel like it's all about them. But then we personalize as the icing on the cake to really make it focused on the individual. Mm -hmm. Where I think most businesses are missing a huge opportunity in the category of personalization is to acknowledge things that are very basic and that every human being has. For example, We talked at the outset of this conversation about our mutual friend, John Goodman. Mm -hmm. John is genius at this. And the folks listening who are in the fitness space, I'm sure you're familiar with John. And if you're not, seek him out. He is a master. He's a wizard. John, I received two physical birthday cards for my birthday this year. Two. One from my spouse and one from John Goodman. Now, the fact that John Goodman took the time to send me a personalized birthday card with a picture of his lovely wife and son on it, blew my mind. It is sitting on my desk. Every one of your customers has a birthday. Every one of your customers, as they get older, is getting fewer and fewer birthday cards. We've decided that going on somebody's Facebook wall and typing HBD is enough to show that we care. <laughs> At, <laughs> HBD it drives me freaking insane. Oh my god, don't even bother In, Insane. Exactly. It would be better for you not to write anything (laughs) than to only write an acronym for a two-word phrase, happy birthday. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. But this is what counts as a personalized communication to some people in 2019. I think it's pathetic. If nothing else, identify all of your customers' birthdays. Send them a handwritten birthday card telling them how thankful you are that they're in your life how much you appreciate that you're gonna get to spend another year with them, how much you appreciate the value and the impact they bring to the world. I promise you that that act alone will blow your customers' minds, and they will keep that card, and they will think fondly of you, and they will show that card to their significant other, to their friends, to their colleagues, to their coworkers, because they will be blown away that someone who is not the person who brought them into the world, i.e. their mother and father, or is not the person who they go to bed with every night, their spouse, their significant other would take time to give them a physical birthday card.
1: I love it, man. I can't think of a better way to wrap up. Hey, joy, this has been absolutely outstanding. Uh, man, oh man, I just appreciate you a lot and just, uh, where your values are. And it's clearly something that you're living out. I, I, my definition of a value is something that you prize highly and practice daily. And, uh, man, uh, this has uh, been so extra valuable. So is, is there uh, anything you just want to wrap up with to give you kind of the final word, a word of encouragement to our listeners based on everything we've shared so far?
0: Oh, well, two, two things. One, I would just say, if, if this is at is all interesting to you, check out the book, Never Lose a Customer Again. We have uh, a hardback, we have an ebook, we have an audiobook that I narrate. So if you've enjoyed listening to me talk and you want to have me read the book to you, you can check that out. Um, the only reason I say that, to be very clear, is not to sell more books. Uh, if you know authors and know them well, you don't make any money, per se, selling a book. You, you just really don't, especially when your book is traditionally published like mine is. Um, but what I'm trying to do is to raise the bar on customer experience experience on the planet. The bar for customer experience is lying on the ground, right? (laughs) What I want to do is get it to be better. And I know that if you increase the customer experience in your business, Vince, it's going to make the folks that are in your coaching program increase the experience in their business, which is going to make their customers increase the experience in their business. All boats rise together, right? So this is my mission. This is my passion. This is my focus. um, This is what I'm trying to do, and I would love to have people get involved in the call to action to this movement to just lead a better life and to create better experiences, both in your business and in your personal life as well. So I uh, would love it if folks uh, would check that out and consider, you know, implementing this type of thinking in their business, uh, because I really think we can move the dial. We can move the dial for happiness on the planet.
1: Hey, hey Joey, I'm, I'm so supportive of what you're doing. I'm going to um, put an order in for um, every one of our coaching members and uh, I'm going to have this shipped out. So, hey, any coaching members listening to this right now, don't buy Joey's book. I'm going to send it to you. Uh, I don't know if I should do it on Amazon or have you just give me a link after uh, we- Call, but
0: we, we, I, I've got an idea. We can talk about that. We'll do we'll, we'll do. we'll. Let's try to practice what we preach, and we'll show your. Uh, we'll show your customers how we can take this to the next level. So I've got some ideas we can talk about after the yeah, show. Yeah, but
1: you can send the invoice. I'm. I'm. Uh, arming my uh, students with this book. So hey guys, the book is never lose a customer again. Joey, Where else can people learn more? Connect with you. If you hear it getting crazy upstairs, that's why. Another reason we got to wind down the. The three kids just walked in the door.
0: Ah, there you (laughs) go. The adventure continues. I love it. Uh, The best place to find me online is my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you probably have in your life, Joey Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. There you can find videos, you can find some free downloads, a starter kit to help you get the first 100 days up and running in your business. It's a free download. Uh, lots of other resources. So yeah, would love to connect with any of the listeners and really appreciate you having me on the show, Vince. I appreciate what you're doing and I'm uh, uh, honored by the fact that you would invite me to come join the conversation. Oh yeah,
1: Are you kidding me? Man, this has been all my honor. So uh, all my pleasure. So, and you have a podcast too? Is that right?
0: I do. I have a, I have a podcast called The Experience This Show. You can find it at Experience This on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, basically, it's a weekly show. We do bite-sized morsels of customer experience delight. So, small little 8-10 to 10 segments. We do three per show about an interesting customer experience that I've had or my co-host Dan has had or something we've seen in the marketplace. We're all about celebrating the positive experiences. We think there's enough attention in media focus towards detailing negative customer experiences, we talk about the positive ones and then hopefully give some takeaways that people can apply to their own business. So come check out the Experience This podcast as well. That is
1: just, I got to say, that's an outstanding concept for a show.
0: Thanks, man. Good, I appreciate good it. Job. We have a lot of fun with it. We're, we're at about, uh, we just finished recording episode 63 last night. So there's a, there's a lot to go from. We're in season three. So there's, uh, some good fun stories to hey, hear.
1: Hey, Joey, one last question, a little personal. You think you're going to have three kids?
0: No, I'm two and done. <laughs> two, two and done. Yeah, here's the thing. I am I'm, I'm so fortunate and so blessed to have two happy, healthy kids. They are an armful. They're amazing. They challenge me to be a better human being, to be a better dad, uh, to be a better guide, to be a better mentor. And so uh, I got my hands full with two. I love it. But for context, I'm one of seven kids. So if you take my nieces and nephews, I'm up to. If you count my kids, where my parents have fourteen grandkids. Uh, Uh, So I got a lot of nieces and nephews. So anytime I need a little hit of more kids around, we just go hang out with the family and there's a boatload of them. So it, it, uh, it definitely works well. Well,
1: we talked about one upping, but uh, I I don't think you're going to mind if I one up you on this one. You want to know how many my wife has or my, how many, how many, many, uh, (laughs) siblings siblings (laughs) my my wife has? Yeah. Take a guess. Oh man. If, if I said seven and you feel like it's one upping, I'm going to go nine uh, she's, they're one short of a TV show. They're 17. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) I figured you want to know. (laughs) Wow.
0: 17.
1: Yeah. All from the same parents, 30
0: year range. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Oh, that makes for some great holidays. I imagine some good family gatherings. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I'm a big, big families. You know what big families teach you? No. Flexibility. 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 Because by 8:30 a.m. the plan for the day is out the window. No kidding. Yeah, I always love uh, talking. <laughs> the teacher of the beast,
1: right? Yeah, I, 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 one of my good friends, Ryan Lee, posted something up on his Instagram the other day or Facebook. It was like, if you're, if you don't have kids, don't give me productivity advice. <laughs>
0: Uh, Closing, one quick story. My wife, there was this great meme on uh, Facebook recently. Somebody posted about how they were having trouble eating healthy, which ties into our fitness conversation we were having early. And they said, you know, I just I struggle eating healthy because I've spent so much time getting my kids ready and, you know, for school and that it's hard to prepare a healthy meal. And somebody else chimed in on the thread and said, well, have you considered preparing it the night before? (laughs) And the person replied and said, oh, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned, uh, my kids live with me (laughs) 24-7. That's awesome. (laughs) It was just kind of like like people who say, oh, my startup's like my kid. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Not at all. Because guess what? If you want to take a day off from your startup and sleep for 20 hours, you can yeah. You don't have that choice. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, so here's another podcast for us. Hey, listen, guys. Joy, me. this has been so much fun. Uh, listen, it's now time to bless someone else for all of our listeners. Uh, who are you thinking of right now that would love, love, love this episode? I know you're thinking of at least one person and you're welcome to blast this out on social media. But uh, I want to just uh, challenge you to take it one step further and personally send it to somebody and add a little personal note. Man, it wouldn't be right not to uh, implement what we've learned here today and uh, really be be a go-giver hook someone up with that personal touch and uh if you like to uh tag us Uh, hey joey what's your um your instagram by the way
0: Oh, yeah, but my social is terrible. My so I don't even know what my Instagram is. Hey, don't worry about is, it, that's awesome, that's like. Yeah, <laughs> my, my, it's, it's, it's hysterical. That's so awesome. So we actually, feel we talk about this a lot on the podcast, because my co-host is really big into social media, Dan Ginghis. Uh he's, you know, did social customer care at Discover Card, at McDonald's, at Humana. Uh, he's been at a ton of big brands doing that, and he always razzed, so that's kind of our ongoing joke. So now that we talk about it on the podcast, so much. I can't get better on social media. We'll lose the identity. We'll we'll uh, send
1: them to your book.
0: (laughs) Send it to my book. Exactly. Exactly. All
1: right. So tag me when you uh, do a little screenshot of the episode and drop a memorable quote from this episode something that pops something that's shareable memorable and uh, there's a good chance I'll give you some love back and reshare it for some exposure and uh, let's get this on many as many people's radars as possible by just the simple act of blessing someone today so thank you again for listening for sharing and on behalf of Julia and I have a positive memorable and productive day enhancing other people's experiences have a great day